makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Joshua. Greetings and good day and welcome my relatives. I shake your hands with a good heart. This is a voice from Earth. It's good for all of us to be here. You are listening to First Voices Radio and Teokasin Ghost Horse, sending you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Esopus or what Americans and Dutch call the Catskill Mountains. Regardless, it is the highlands of the Esopus in the lands of the Munsee-speaking Lenape. This is an all-native-hosted, all-native-produced First Voices Radio, and Liz Hill from the Red Lake Anishinaabe Nation is a producer of First Voices Radio. You can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprouts, Spotify, as well as firstvoicesindigenousradio.org for archive, downloading, and listening. Max Wilbur, writer, organizer, and wilderness guide and grassroots political worker, author of Bright Green Lies, How the Environmental Movement Lost Its Way and What We Can Do About It. In January of 2021, Max Wilbert and Will Falk launched an occupation of a proposed lithium mine at Thacker Pass on Paiute Territory in northern Nevada. Max Wilbert is a regular on First Voices Radio to give updates on what's happening at Thacker Pass and what we can do to support the people's efforts. To keep up with the news about Thacker Pass, check out the website oxsam.org or Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And now an updated interview with Max Wilbur. So we had, we've had Max Wilbert on the line for several interviews over the few years since January 2021. And now there's a new situation. If not, talk about what could happen, the consequences of, of you know, all of us driving EVs around or switching to that alternative energy, as they call it, a better energy, as most people are calling it. The mainstream view, and also the the bulldozers on that land in Thacker Pass, uh, which is northern Paiute territory. Good question, Tiokasen. Well, the consequences of a transition are very significant and broad. And I want to talk about global warming first, because that's the reason behind all of this. At least that's what we're being told. And as I've discussed with you before, I'm very concerned about global warming. It's a catastrophic issue. I live in Oregon, and it was in the 90s in Western Oregon yesterday on May 14th. And that's a, that is completely 
out of the norm. We've seen uh, droughts spreading, uh, heat waves, an increase in extreme weather. We're seeing climate change and global warming start to impact all kinds of sensitive wildlife species around the world. Uh, we're seeing the impacts of um, coral reefs dying, ocean acidification, um, uh, 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 all of these issues on and on and on. And so global warming is really an apocalyptic problem. There's no argument or debate about that. The issue arises when we look at how we solve that problem. Because the, the method that is being presented to us, the method that is being pushed by um, uh, the Biden administration, by most mainstream nonprofit organizations, um, by many people and governments and organizations around the world, is essentially a model of business as usual, but simply replacing fossil fuels with, uh, with electric cars and solar panels and wind turbines. The problem that I have with that is that our problem is it, the issues that we're facing are so much deeper and broader than global warming. You know, most of the species extinctions that are happening across the planet aren't because of global warming. They're not related to it at all. Um, uh, the Great Plains, the buffalo on the Great Plains were all killed largely without the help of any fossil fuels. The, uh, the, the forests of Europe were destroyed using, you know, hand axes and agriculture and draft animals. Um, and, uh, you know, the great ecosystems of the world are staggering under the weight of not just fossil fuels and global warming, but logging, industrial agriculture, chemical pollution, plastic pollution, uh, uh, human overshoot. Um, urban sprawl, all of these variety of issues. And with the cars specifically, when we just focus on the cars, then we ignore the broader issues because it's so much deeper than the fuel. The problems with cars include car culture itself, the creation of roads, massive networks of roads and parking lots, the concrete and the pollution that's created to create all this infrastructure to support the cars, the pollution that is created from brakes and tires and so on, uh, as well as the fact in the factories and in the production process for these vehicles. So we are truly in an ecological crisis and global warming is one part of that. And by prioritizing electric vehicles as the solution, we're moving into a future where that destruction continues, but with lower greenhouse gas emissions. And I support lower greenhouse gas emissions. That's a goal that we all want to reach. That's a goal that we're all working towards. But how do we do that? How do we achieve it? How do we move forward? That's the question. I don't think that it's right or good for the planet to continue blowing up mountains, to continue poisoning water, bulldozing important habitat. And you know, pertinent to the show, Geokasin, I don't think it's right to continue doing that while destroying indigenous sacred sites and traditional cultures. Max Wilbert, you said something very important that we've discussed 
not just you and I, but other folks have discussed global warming, global warning, apocalyptic. We have all the words to, to really think that we're going to wake up because we're saying all the correct words. You know, you talk about car culture, and I think part of the understanding that the deep, the visceral feeling ceremonies that we've had with uh, Indigenous folks that I've had with my own people is that the biggest culprit that we're not looking at, the elephant in the room, but the one who built the room to put the elephant in the room, that, that's the idea. We're not looking at that. It's the, it's the invisible ink. It's a colonial coma. And that is partly, you can, I would say, it is the ownership, the domination or the ownership is the main cause, the main culprit of global warming. How would someone begin to remove that idea from a peoples who are just steeped in ownership, um, that they can do anything they want to the earth? Because many people that I know of, uh, used to know, um, have no idea when they say the earth doesn't feel anything. So, so the earth, the earth doesn't care for us either. So what, what, what do we care? That attitude was around when in the 60s and 70s and 80s when I was younger. And it's still here, you know, to have things like keep America beautiful or, or make America beautiful. It's all these political slogans. So this is that wake-up language that they're using, which is really putting people back to sleep. Is there a certain way that we could really look at, quote unquote, the problem? It is really challenging, Tiokasen. And I don't, honestly, I don't really have the answers. I don't really know what the best way forward is. I don't know how to shift the culture out of this path that it's on. That's so, uh, it's such a dead end. Um, and, you know, that, what I do know is that we can't continue on this path that we're on. We need to move in a different direction. And that's one reason why I decided it was so important to um, speak up about this Thackerpass lithium mine, so important to stand up against it, was because we can't just sleepwalk into the future. You know, it, in that sense, global warming and the crisis it is creating, the political crisis, is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for our society, our people, to reflect on the path that we're on, uh, on the decisions that have been made, on the trajectory that we're headed, and make different choices. We don't have to repeat the things that have been repeated in the path. We can forge a different direction, but it's not going to be based on more and more consumption. It's not going to be based on products that come out of factories like electric vehicles and solar panels. I think that any sustainable future, any movement forward is going to be based on looking at our responsibilities as human beings, as one species on this planet, and on uh, looking at limits understanding limits and boundaries, understanding when the planet says no and when people say no, and moving forward based on those limits. So, uh, you know, you may have the answer better than I do, Chiyokasin, um, to that question, but it's a, it's a huge question. As you say, it's something people have been grappling with for decades, for centuries, 
probably for millennia. And what I do know is that if we do nothing, then the outcome is likely to be very bad. So we have to do something. Something you said, the lower gas house emissions or lower the emissions, Earth can only tolerate. How much can Earth tolerate from humans? What she hasn't already tolerated from herself. Of course, everybody, our living body has gas. <laughs> we know that, you know, to and pun in, no pun intended, but um, there is also this, this urgency that we we reacting to everything, responding to hot spots like Thacker Pass, mm-hmm. responding to to Standing Rock, to all these places. This is actually something that I think is part of the intuitive in in a lot of uh, people, uh, human beings that you say are human doings, and these are human beings. But when it comes to the Earth's hot spots, there's plenty of those. But how out of rhythm are we? that we only respond to when humans think there's a need to. It's, it's, Mm. why don't we think, why aren't we responding to the needs of the earth just as much as we need to adapt to her needs now rather than to adapt earth to our needs, such as Thacker Pass. That's the mentality that I'm talking about. Absolutely. There's a humility, it seems like, in what you're talking about. There's a, there's an understanding that, it's not just about us. We're not the only uh, beings on this planet. And that frankly, we're not that smart. I mean, we're very clever creatures. We do understand a lot, but this world is so much more complex and nuanced and and um, and, and and beautiful than we can even understand. And if we don't have that humility, it's so easy to fall into the engineering mindset. You know, the the former Secretary of Energy, Rex Tillerson, under the Trump administration, um, who was the uh, CEO, I believe, of an oil company before going to work in the government, uh, revolving door there, he said global warming is an engineering problem. And that, to me, is so much of the problem. We're, uh, We're seeing this mindset where people see the world as a mechanistic place as a purely uh, a rational place where uh, human beings can manipulate and take and extract and control and that mindset has led us into some pretty um, big mistakes in the past it's created a lot of issues and you know when we have humility when we instead look at relationship with the land, I'm thinking about, you know, the, the most talented gardeners who I know who who are in relationship with their soil and the insects and the pollinators and the plants themselves and the weeds and all these other life forms around them. They are in relationship, intimate relationship with all these other beings. They don't see themselves as superior. Instead, they see themselves as a participant in this process of life and that human beings just like other creatures we have certain gifts and when we use those gifts responsibly when we use them to meet our own needs but in ways that support the broader community of life around us that creates the best long-term outcomes rather than this extractive mindset that is really driving what's happening at, at places like Thacker Pass and unfortunately around the world. One more thing is you've heard this 
trust science. That's the red flag for me because that's bully information, bullying information onto people who aren't aware that too much information is, is um, it, it's playing with mine, as you say, manipulative. And you said we don't have an answer because we don't know what to do. And that's the confusion as whereas before, if it was simple, doesn't need as much information because it has enough to work with. Now we have all these hotspots information. We have, you know, carbon footprint. We have all of these mottos that the wake up language to say, see, this is why we have to stop what we're doing. Of course we do. That's simple. That's kind of a duh moment. But yet it has to go deeper to really understand that there's going to be nothing to hunt anymore. There will be nothing to eat anymore. The water is scarce and getting scarcer. So humans in ourselves, we, we have we are watching ourselves go the same way. We're, we're like speaking a survivor's language now. So the surviving language is in reaction to everything. Whereas if, if it was not a survivor's language that came over on the ship's you know, because of what happened over there and that history in Europe and other places that maybe we look at truly the indigenous folks who now we're picking up the same survivor's language because it's happened to us over 500 years now. Uh, and But yet there's still some remnants of the human and everybody that says we don't have to survive. We have to learn how to live. And we haven't learned how to live with the earth yet because we're still in fear of, of not having and that's what I mean about ownership. A lot of this has to be talked out. Yes, there's not time to talk anymore um, because we have to, maybe we should talk with the earth as to what we could do. You know, maybe she has the answers instead of going back to our drawing board, back to being reborn, a new book about this and that. That's, that's to trust that type of knowledge, trust that type of science when it's really removing us from the core being of who we are. Now, this is my opinion. So you can interrupt me anytime you want just to, you know, comment if you want, and then we'll go back to Thacker Pass for, to end this. Yeah. Thank you, Tiokasen. And I completely agree. There's this, uh, you know, I'm sure you are familiar with the work of Jack D Forbes and probably many of your listeners are as well. Um, I believe he was, uh, Lenape man who was a professor at UC Davis for many years and was active in the, the heyday of the, uh, you know, indigenous uprisings of the 70s. And he was a brilliant thinker. And one of the things he talked about was how the root of the problem that is colonization, imperialism, um, capitalism, all these different things is really like a spiritual illness that's transferred between different people, it's contagious. He talked about it as contagious, like a disease, because it can be taught and it can be passed from one culture to another and inculcated and, and continued through schools and families and so on. And that to me is such a good description of what has gone wrong. You know, we can talk about the material things. We can talk about agriculture and, and capitalism as an economic system. We can talk about uh, resource extraction and, and wars and overpopulation and all these different material issues. But the the external is a reflection of the internal. And uh, we live in a culture that is uh, has some profound spiritual illnesses in 
our relationship to each other and to the planet as a whole. And I think that what's happening at places like Thacker Pass is a reflection of that sickness. And that's why it's so beautiful to me to see this Oxam um, prayer camp emerging at Thacker Pass. That's why people need to go there and support is not just to stop the physical destruction of the land, although that's critical, but to participate in a movement to change us, to change the way we think, the way we act. Um, and that's something that has come to me again and again at Thacker Pass over the hundreds of days that I've spent there over the last couple of years is, you know, we talk about saving the land and we do, we need to save the land. I, I would never say otherwise. And at the same time, it's in some ways, it's more accurate to talk about the land saving us. We need to surrender to the land. We need to surrender in this war that this culture has been waging against the land and allow the land to save us. And, you know, when we do that, I think that will change everything. So, so good to talk to you about this. To me, trust science and technology only benefits humans. And when you think about it, when you ask the question to oneself, is it benefiting Earth or is it benefiting humans? I think we're so hell-bent on being narcissistic. Everything needs to benefit us as humans. And those animals, those other life forms will take care of themselves. It's true. But in the same sense that we are destroying their habitat, we are also destroying ourselves. So it's a sort of a self-fulfilling suicidal prophecy happening here at the same time. And, and it's going to need a a good stretch, a spiritual stretch, but the, the earth has always been spiritual, always in ceremony. But when a religious ritual comes along, such as technology, the new religion and science has come along, and that, as you say, mechanical mindset comes along, then, of course, it has no empathy. And those following that, getting benefits from technology, will also have less empathy with life and be more uh, only about themselves. The I, me, my, mine, and ours mentality. It's a possession when they can't even own their own responsibility. So, yes, there, this, this could be talked about forever. We could philosophize forever. But I'm glad you're there, Max. And um, any any final words that you can say to the listeners here on First Voices Radio? Well, Thacker Pass is is happening everywhere. So if you're close, if you're in the area, if you're called to, please go out to the Oxam camp. That's what the elders have called for. Um, it's important to visit these places and stand up. And if you can't make it, then I guarantee you, wherever you live, there are important issues happening in your area. And I can't do this alone. Chiyokusen can't do this alone. None of us can. This is going to take every single one of us working together to, to, to change the world. And we need you. Who do we get a hold of since, as, as you said in a previous interview, that down there in the valley, Thacker Pass Valley, there is less technology to really contact people that uh, maybe it's out of range. So you, you're doing what uh, a concerned human being would be that, hey, they're destroying something over here. They can't get it, get anybody out into the world from where they are. So I'm up here on this mountain being able to talk to Teokasin. What I would recommend is, um, from what I understand, the website oxsam.org 
is up and running. It's changing by the day, by the hour, as more information becomes available and as edits become available. Um, but there is a an off-site team of people, volunteers from all over the country, all sorts of different organizations and uh, movements and communities who are working to support the folks on the ground. So uh, that's another way that people can support is by donating or by offering your skills in some way to help spread the word, to, uh, to help bring together the support networks that are needed to make something like this successful. Would you spell Ox Oxam? Oxam, O-X-S-A-M dot org. S-A-M, S-A-M as in Sam, the name. O-X-S-A-M, okay. Well, great. Thank you again. And we'll be in touch soon, Max, and keep up the good work. All voices are needed to bring attention to that destruction of Earth there. And because, you know, it's out of sight, out of mind to most, and it's out there, the remote part of Turtle Island. Um, so we don't need to go out there because it's high and dry. There's no water. You know, there's nothing there. There's no civilization. I think people can't fathom that, that that's what is culture is the earth even if it's dry even and it's not as dead as most people think because as you spent two years of your life there there's plenty of wildlife there that we don't need to see that disappear absolutely yeah it's a very special place incredibly beautiful so important to all the creatures who live there and the people and deserves to be protected Okay, Max, thank you so much. And First Voices Radio, you know, welcomes you and thank you for your thoughts. Thank you, Tiokasen. I would like to thank Max Wilbert of Protect Thacker Pass, who has been served a temporary restraining order threatening him with arrest if he attempts to go near Ox Sam Camp and the Lithium Nevada's Thacker Pass mine site. This restraining order is based on his presence at the mine site on May 11th. 2023, during the prayer ceremony led by Native elders that blocked construction of the water pipeline for the mine. Three people not associated with Protect Thacker Pass have also been served legal paperwork threatening them with arrest if they attempt to approach the site. Among these is Doris Sam, president of the Native American Church and a member of the Fort McDermott tribe who says, quote, I'm being threatened with arrest for protecting the graves of my ancestors. My great-great-grandfather, Ox Sam, was one of the survivors of the 1865 Thacker Pass massacre that took place here. His family was killed right here as they ran away from the U.S. Army. They were never buried. They're still here, and now these bulldozers are tearing up this place, unquote. Native elders and their supporters continue to hold vigil at Ox Sam Camp, and elders have called for people to join this peaceful and prayerful camp as they stand to protect the water and land. Find out more about the camp and their latest updates at oxsam.org. That's O-X-S-A-M dot org. Meanwhile, the legal right over the Thacker Pass lithium mine continues. On Friday, May 19th, the Summit Lake Paiute Tribe, Burns Paiute Tribe, and Reno Sparks Indian Colony filed notice in the Ninth Circuit Court to appeal the lower court's rejection of their preliminary injunction. They had sought to halt the mine's construction work in early March, but federal district judge Miranda Du rejected that motion. And in the beginning of the week, May 21st, 
the Bureau of Land Management, BLM, filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit filed by the same three tribes in February 2023 to challenge the BLM's actions in approving construction activities at Thacker Pass, Pihi Moho, which is a traditional cultural property and is included in the National Register of Historic Places. Protect Thacker Pass continues to support the ongoing legal fight for Thacker Pass. This is Teokasen Ghost Horse with First Voices Radio. That's from the album The Great Sea, Najiwan, the band, and the song North of Superior. This is First Voices Radio. We're going to go into the second half of this segment with an interview with, with Avelia Rivas. Please stay with us. Thank you. I'd like to welcome Ophelia Rivas, who's an elder and activist for the Tahona Odom Nation and the founder of the Odom Voice Against the Wall. And Ophelia says this is this on her website at odamrights.org. That's O-O-D-H-A-M-R-I-G-H-T-S.org. The Odom Way is 
a life is based on the land that has held the remains of our ancestors since the creation of this world. The Odom did not migrate from anywhere according to our oral history. Our creation tellings record our history and teach the Odom principles of life. And the survival of Odom today is our himdan. And Ovila can be reached at her email address, the number 4 O O D H A M R I G H T S at gmail.com. I want to preface this with a report that came out in Censored News by Brendan Orell and other news sources that have a little different story. When they reported that Tona Odom, ceremonial person standing in the doorway of his third home, 30, was shot 38 times on last Thursday night, which was May 18th. And Ophelia is a lifelong friend, and we'll, we'll talk to Ophelia. And this, this friend um, had a family who wrote a statement, the Mattia family. Raymond Mattia is his name. And we have been trying, and this, this is quoting the statement here. We have been trying to find the strength to write this statement. This tragedy is so grievous because it is apparent what had happened. Raymond called for help and in turn was shot down at his doorstep. Raymond's rights were violated by the, by the authorities whom we trust to protect our nation. Improper and unprofessional actions of the agencies involved were witnessed by family members present near the crime scene. Loved ones sat in agony, not knowing of Raymond's condition until they were told that he had passed hours later. Raymond lay in front of his home for seven hours before a coroner from Tucson arrived. In our eyes and hearts, we believe that Raymond was approached with excessive and deadly force that took his life. He was a father, brother, uncle, friend, and an involved community member. Raymond always fought for what was right, and he will continue to fight even after his death. This is not an isolated incident, but it should bring awareness of the oppression our people lived through. And we want to thank so many of you for your condolences and support. And I will be giving how you can do support that later on in the program. First, we want to go to a friend of Raymond Matia, Ophelia Rivas, who is a longtime guest on First Voices Radio. And I want to welcome you once again, Ophelia. Unfortunately, this is every time we talk to you, there's something not good either mm-hmm. that's happening along the border. And this is kind of bringing it home, so to speak. If it's not already at home, this brings it even more into the family of the Odom Nation and Native people in the United States, as well as that border crosses the United States and Mexico. I just I want to welcome you to First Voices Radio, Ophelia. Just uh, greetings and uh, just a small uh, statement to our people that understand my language that um, we had we have a loss and he was a ceremony person and on June 3rd when we uh, put him away you can light a fire small fire for him. And um, that's our way to uh, to guide him to, you know, wherever he's going. We believe that 
that he's uh you know all over uh he said his energy is everywhere now and that we're celebrating that even though we're grieving that he's no longer physically here with us that uh we saw him in the rainbow early that morning. We saw him in the sunrise, and we that night we felt his presence when it rained and and just a wild wind uh, went there where he was laying when they lifted his body. Uh, a really wild wind just uh, made things uh, clatter over there and. Um, the rain seems to stand there and uh we just smiled and said oh that's ray you know uh he's just showing you know the power of who we are as a people on our land that's not gonna diminish in our death it hasn't uh, since the beginning of time our ancestors are very present with us and there's a tragedy that happens on the land so one of these tragedies that maybe is a little risky, the fact that sometimes reporting is not true to what we're hearing. Yes, it's very, that's a very difficult part. Uh, there's uh, everybody, uh, as we see it all the time, has their own opinion uh, and they assume this is the what has happened. And many people that were not there that that night that made uh, statements and you know even the person that came out there to do the initial uh, report invited by the family did an update and uh, did uh, also send out misinformation and it's very uh, difficult for the family it was hard for them to write the statement due to all of that, that they have to deal with uh, at the community on a local and now the world is uh, listening and hearing and waiting to see what will happen. I know that um, the family have not received any official report from anyone and that they have not been officially interviewed by any of the agencies. Let's talk about the the character of goodness of yes. Raymond talk about his character yeah. yes uh, everyone everyone knows he's out there hiking he does a lot of carvings and sculptures and works with clay so he's always continually uh, walking for his health but also to look for uh, materials to use in his artwork he uses a lot of uh, cactus uh, uh, woods and uh, the uh, some of the tree woods that's out there and and so he's always out there uh, walking around and everybody knows he walks uh, all over the land and up the mountains and and uh, but he's also you know our friend that uh, when we need help he'll come uh, he said I was just over there fixing somebody's electrical wiring because there was all messed up or. I was over there, you know, building something for them, you know. He's always uh, in the community doing some something to help somebody, one of his family members or friends. That's the kind of person he, he is. And when he started, when his pa father passed away years ago, he was in line to inherit the rights of the ceremony, uh, things, that responsibilities that people have. And that's uh, who he is. He 
he's a singer, he's a participant of the ceremonies, and he, but also him and his brothers are very great traditional hunters for when we have our deer ceremony and they do a traditional hunt. They know how to go through that. Uh, I don't want to say that it's um, a ritual, but it's it's a it's a, a set rules. Hunters, traditional hunters have to engage in those things before they actually go and look for the the deer. And he's a part of been a part of that for a long time. He takes care of his daughter and his son and his sisters and his brothers. And he comes by to check on me all the time. And he'll say, "Knock knock, got coffee on," you know. And uh, we'll just sit out there and visit and. We always uh, end up talking about what was on that mountain over there or the stories we heard or or just, you know, we're talking about his artwork and what he was working on. That's the, that's the Ray I know. Let's go to where the family stated where he, that Raymond lay in front of the house for his home, in his home for seven hours before a coroner even showed up. And when I think about someone that kind and present involved in a community, I think that a lot more resources would be quickly available, not just an ambulance or not, but other other resources would be there, especially since it was reported differently on different media. Would you talk about that? Uh, yes, uh, I was uh, immediately uh, there with the family all night long in the rain, waiting to hear something official. Yet they had already declared and pronounced him uh, dead, and uh, they didn't tell the family. And they were very much aware that we were all there. And uh, we were under guard by the tribal police. Uh, Every time we moved, uh, they were very aware of where we're at. And um, we were not allowed to go to the crime scene. And um, it it took a long time uh, for them to, for somebody, an official, somebody to come and tell us. uh, And uh, one of the family members said, we don't know what's going on, what's happened. Is he still alive? Why there's no ambulance? There's no Arabic, where there's, and they said, no, he's, he's passed away, you know. And we were all very uh, shocked. And, and on the federal reservation, it's remote as we are. It takes time for things to get there, as we know. Police takes, used to take two hours if we have an emergency. Ambulance will take about that long. Uh, now they have substations, so it takes a little less long you know the less time but there was no ambulance there there was no fire department there there's no emergency team of any kind there he uh remained where he he they shot him down uh they said they put a cover over him and due to the nature of how he died that he was that it was under investigation on the scene and that he could not be moved he could not be viewed and so there he laid for over seven hours and we just sat and waited and some of the border patrol um, were very rude 
making remarks like, why would you want to be sitting out in the rain? Why don't you just go home? That kind of thing. They have no, they have not extended any courtesy to us during the whole time we were there waiting until um, they finally uh, took the body. And we were able to do a small ceremony standing around the medical examiner vehicle. And then at sunrise, they finally pulled the tape off the crime scene and we were able to do a ceremony there where he was laying at. Just a few, looked like he took maybe two, three steps out of his front door. Yeah, this this is the next part that I'm wondering if we should talk about or not, but I'll ask the question that <clears throat> that um, reported by Brenda Norell from uh, Censored News that Raymond Matia had video evidence that disappeared after he made an official report to probably officials at U.S. Border Patrol or other people that the U.S. Border Patrols themselves in the area were working with the cartels and were involved in drug running. Well, you know, we're right, right on the border. There's a lot of, uh, I had reported that early on when uh, I will talk about uh, the aggression of Border Patrol, all the physical violence and uh, and uh, you know, just uh, verbal abuse of the people along the border, not just our community, but along the border. Uh, we're all uh, not that color, that certain color. We're all brown skin, you know, different shades, but dark hair, different shades. And I guess we all look like criminals and uh, undocumented people that they want to abuse us that way. But the element of the drug business, human traffic business has always been there for a long time and that off and on people tried to advocate to have a safe community but it was so obvious that uh, it overwhelmed the community and um, any anybody that I guess would try to report or try to advocate for the community was targeted. I'm targeted for advocating for human rights of our people. Obviously Ray was targeted because he uh, documented the activity between the traffickers and uh, Border Patrol. And myself, I've reported that several times that what we witness in the community. And uh, but it's uh, it's um, a great. Um, I I think it's not fear. It's just very demeaning when uh, we are uh, there's retaliation in the community not only by local community members that are part of that trafficking, but also politicians that are part of that trafficking. And it, it goes higher than just our local people. And that has always been there. And I think I've always reported that every time I've talked to you on uh, anything related to the border problems. This aggression and this unmonitored behavior of the Border Patrol. I've reported for many years uh, without any uh, resolution or address from not just the top people in Washington, D.C., or the state people or our own tribal leadership. And uh, this year is an election year. 
and I'm not going to believe what the politicians will be writing because we know who they are and we know what they do. I mean, that's the conditions we live in. And that's all I can really say about that. And when people are targets, we're monitored uh, throughout our daily lives, 24 hours a day by by tower cameras on towers, uh, sensors. They mess with our phones. So we're, we're always uh, monitored. I really uh, do believe what was reported by Censored News that all the things that he did, he, he was a target. Yeah, this is a difficult report to do here because I, I feel that and I know the, the oppression, but um, um, is there any final thoughts you have for us here on First Voices Radio, Ophelia Rivas? Uh, yes, um, our ancestors survived so we can survive and be here today. And we've made uh, uh, what the elders said, we bend it, you know, with the wind so we don't break. And that we that means that we've adjusted. And here we are on this medium talking and trying to uh, bring uh, some kind of uh, compassion to the indigenous peoples that are aff- afflicted by different types of uh, aggression from these uh Foreigners, we call them foreigners, you know, that came into our lands and have no regard to our lands and our people and our way of life. And for Ray, uh, probably uh, I had asked that on June 3rd, he's going to have a service if the best thing to do is send prayer and build a small, very small fire. That's a traditional fire, very small fire for him, for the family and and uh, for Ray. Raymond Matia, a father, brother, a friend, and a ceremony person shot by Border, border Patrols, U.S. Border Patrol, 38 times in Manager's Dam on his front porch steps in the Oham Nation in Arizona. Thank you, Ophelia Rivas, for your reports and our condolences go out to the family, Matia family, and to the Oham Nation, the Hona yes. Nation. Thank you. Anakopta nankapi kihe, First Voices Radio, Pilama Yayapi, Doksha Ake Wachiankikte. We appreciate you all for listening to First Voices Radio, and I'll see you again eventually, but surely. My name is Teokasin Ghost Horse. Sunflower child running wild beneath the Arizona. Butterfly wings on the bow, he wraps himself around the Thousand years before
Brown 